Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, of course, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke, and as you know, we go verse by verse, passage by passage, and Luke presents Jesus as the Savior. He is the perfect man, the substitute for our sins. We are seeing the ministry of Christ. He is presenting himself to the nation of Israel as the Messiah and the Savior. He is healing, he's forgiving sins, he's raising the dead, he's giving the good news message. In Luke chapter 7, as we've got to this chapter going through the book, we're seeing four events that show the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. He shows his authority over disease, over death, over doubt, and even the authority to forgive sins. This morning we're continuing. Jesus is talking about John. That's what he's going to be doing about John the Baptist. John, apparently, the best we can tell from Scripture, he'd been doubting. And Jesus then turns to the crowd to talk about the person and the work of John, who he is and what he does. As we study this section, we think about Jesus, we think about John, but we also want to raise this point and this question and something to think about is, do we trust God and will we continue to trust God when the events of life don't turn out the way we think they should? Because sometimes they don't. How do we deal with the trials and the problems of this life? Well, I think there's a lot in this passage, and we'll get it as we go through it fairly quickly. There's a teaching today which you've probably heard of. They call it prosperity theology. And what it says is this. If you trust Jesus, if you live for him, if you live right and good, God will bless you, and he'll bless you materially. Not only just, not it, just bless you, but he'll bless you materially. Things will go good for you. You'll not be sick. You'll have money. You'll have things. Sometimes this is even called the name and claim theology, where you name it, and God is obligated somehow to give that to you. And so the question comes, but what if you say that? What if you say, I've trusted in Jesus, I'm living the best I can and all of this. But if it doesn't work out that way, what if there is sickness? What if there's death? What if there are problems? Well, their answer would be that you just don't have enough faith. Well, the problem with this, this is not biblical at all. This is not the teaching of the Bible. In fact, you see from the Scripture the opposite. When you stand for Jesus Christ in a fallen world, there will probably be problems and persecution. Things may not turn out the way that you think they should. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. There will be times in the life of the believer that things go wrong, that there's persecution and problems and sickness and sorrow. This morning we're going to continue seeing, of course, the Gospel of Luke, and we see John the Baptist, we see his life. He has stood for Jesus Christ. He has pointed to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the forerunner of the Messiah. He has done everything he's supposed to do. And where is he now? He's in prison. And what's going to happen to him? He'll be killed. That's not so good. You know, I mean, you said that didn't turn out like we thought it should. The truth is, when you stand for Jesus Christ... It is the greatest life of all, but that doesn't mean there won't be problems. How do we deal with this? As we continue in our study this morning, we want to look at, just very briefly, what Jesus says about John, about who he is and what he did. And as we begin, let's think about Luke chapter 7. There are really four things, four key events in Luke chapter 7. First of all, verses 1 through 10, we've already seen this, but this is authority over disease. We see how he healed the centurion slave. Then in verses 11 through 17 is authority over death. Last week we saw how he raised this widow's son from the dead. Then as we continue, we saw this at the start of this last week, verses 18 through 35, 
the authority over doubt because John the Baptist sends two guys to Jesus to say, are you the right one or should we look for somebody else? And then last but not least, we'll see this next week in verses 36 through 50, his authority to forgive sins. And I call this the passage where there's the sinful woman and the proud Pharisee. We'll see it next week where Jesus is at this Pharisee's house and this woman who has a very bad reputation comes in and she loves Jesus. And she, she pray, I mean, she's weeping and, and she anoints his feet and all of this. And that proud Pharisee looks over and says, if Jesus really were a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman that is touching him. And we're going to see what Jesus has to do with that next week. There's amazing. So far, we have seen his authority over disease. We saw that at the very start where that, uh, that uh, centurion sent some people to Jesus and said, Look, I'm not even worthy for Jesus to come into my house. I'm not even worthy for him to look at me. But I know Jesus has authority. All he has to do is speak, and my servant will be well. And that's what he sent to Jesus, and Jesus healed the servant. And then we saw the authority over death, in which last time we saw that Jesus with a great crowd was going into a city called Nain and coming out of the city was a widow, lost her husband, and now her only son was dead. They were carrying him out sort of on a stretcher. And when Jesus saw this, he went over and put his hand on that stretcher, stopped him, told her to, to stop weeping, and spoke to the man, and he was raised from the dead. And they, they just went, oh my gracious. And they said, a great prophet has come. God has visited his people. And then last week, we now have moved to that third section was the authority over doubt where John the Baptist was doubting. He, did, he sent two people to Jesus and said, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Well, this morning, I want to do three things for us. Number one, we're going to get just a little background on John again just to remind you. Then we're going to see the doubting. We saw this last week. I'm just going to touch on it. And then the rest of this, this morning, we're going to see Jesus teaches about John. He turns to the crowd and talks to them and tells them about John. So let's start with a little bit, just the background, just for you to remember. John was about six months older than Jesus. An angel came to his father. His father was a priest. And while he was, uh, while he was uh, burning the incense, an angel came to him and said, you're going to have a son. His son, the son will be named John. He will be the forerunner of the Messiah. Can you imagine being a daddy and knowing that your son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah? Your son is going to be the one to point out the Savior of the world? We know that when John got older, about 30, a little past 30, he began this ministry out in the wilderness. He didn't go into a town, set up a tent and begin to preach. He was out in the wilderness and people just all came out there and he was doing such an amazing ministry that some people said, are, are you the Christ? And he said, no, 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 I'm not even worthy to undo his shoes. And we saw that at a point in time, he baptized Jesus. And when he baptized Jesus, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. The voice from the Father said, this is my beloved son. John the Baptist is the one that pointed out Jesus and said, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that was his ministry. But in, the, in that ministry, there was a man by the name of Herod, who was one of the sons of Herod the Great. He had been married, divorced his wife, and married his brother's wife. That was wrong. And John actually challenged... It was wrong. And so John challenged... He challenged the, the king. He went to him and said, that's wrong. And the king, Herod, got so mad that he put him into prison. And he, he was really wanted to kill him, but he didn't know what to do because so many people thought John was a prophet. And so he just kept him in prison for a while. While John's in prison, we come to this point where John apparently begins to doubt. He begins to wonder what's going on. So he sends, because he's hearing what Jesus is doing, but it's not exactly what John thought it might should be. So he's going to send two people to Jesus to say, are you the right one or should we look for someone else? We could say, how could he doubt? I mean, he's the one that baptized Jesus. He's the one that pointed out that Jesus is the Lamb of God. But maybe being in prison and, and that if Jesus is the Messiah, he might be thinking, if Jesus is the Messiah, why isn't he ruling? And if he's the right one, why am I in prison? 
And he could be doubting that way. Now, in this section, I just wanted to show you this. We looked at it last week. There are three big parts to this whole section where John, we saw last week, where John raises the question and Jesus answers. And then Jesus talks about John. We'll see that this morning. And also the rest of it where he rebukes, where Jesus rebukes those who rejected John. Because when you reject John, you reject Jesus. And we'll see how that ties together. Well, let me remind you of the doubting. This is what we saw last time. Look at verse 19. Summoning two of his disciples, this is John, he sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one or should we look for somebody else? And when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one or do we look for somebody else? Now, John couldn't come himself, of course, because he's in prison. So he sent these two guys. And how did Jesus answer him? What did he say? Well, there's two aspects here. It's what Jesus did and what he said. When those guys were asking Jesus if he was the right one. Notice what the verse says, verse 21. At that very time, when they came to ask him, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. While they were asking him, are you the one? He's probably saying, excuse me just a second, I need to heal this, I need to do this. He's doing all these miracles while they're asking him. So he's doing that, but then the second day, so he did this, all these healings, but look what he said. This is the next verse. He answered and said to them, verse 22, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. This is what he said. Go back and tell John what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Now, why was this important? Because in Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, these were the signs of the Messiah. If you go to Isaiah 35, don't turn there, but if you go there, it says when the Messiah comes, blind will see, lame will walk, deaf will hear, dead will be raised up. If you go to Isaiah 61, it says, and the poor will have the gospel preached to them. So what Jesus is saying to these two men, go back and tell John what you see and hear. Tell him, I'm doing Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. Tell him, I'm doing what the Messiah is supposed to do because I'm the Messiah. Notice he ended last time, or we saw this last time, verse 23. Blessed is, he who, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Literally it means who does not miss me, who does not trip over me. He's saying blessed is the one who doesn't miss me, who believes in me. And see, we're going to see all the way through this little contrast here because we're going to see those who believe in Jesus and those who don't believe in Jesus. He's saying, blessed are those who believe in me. Well, that takes us now to the third section. And this is Jesus teaching about John because as soon as those two guys leave, Jesus turns to the crowds and begins to teach them. Now, it could be that they heard the questions. The crowd could have said, you mean John's doubting? But Jesus wants to clear it all up, so he turns to the crowd. Look what it says. When the messengers of John had left... He began to speak to the crowds about John. Now, we're going to read it more in just a second. But when they left, he turns to the crowds. Now, here's the question. What do you think most of the people in the crowds thought about John? There were many of them, I'm sure, who said, you know, he must be a prophet of God because he did all this ministry and everybody went out there and he pointed out Jesus and now Jesus is doing all this stuff. He must be a prophet of God. It says in some other places in the Scripture that some people thought he was demon-possessed. So Jesus is going to talk to the crowds, and he's going to ask three questions for them to answer. The first two questions get a no answer, and the third question gets a yes answer. Look at the first question. It says, when the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. Here's question number one. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? 
a reed shaken by the wind? He said, when you went out in the wilderness to see John, did you go expect to see a reed shaken by the wind? Now, he's using the analogy, just like this reed, and the wind blows this way, and it goes this way, and the wind blows this way, and it goes this way. He's saying, when you saw John, did you see a person who goes back and forth and back and forth? The answer is no. John knew exactly what he believed, he knew his message, and he proclaimed his message clearly. He was uncompromising, he was unwavering. And so when he says, what did you do when you went out to the wilderness? Did you go out to see a reed? And the answer is, no, we did not. He knew his message, he did not change. Now, i got something for us. We have a goal, and that is to know our message and not compromise our message. Now, the message is very simple. People have confused it, but it is very simple. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sins, was buried, and rose again. And He offers eternal life to anyone who will believe in Him. If you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, He gives you eternal life. That's the message. Do not compromise the message. Do not add to the message. There are people who are saying, well, you're making it too easy. There's other things they have to do. You need to make a public profession. You need to walk down an aisle. You need to give your life to Jesus. You make a commitment to Christ. You need to be baptized. You need to go to church. All of those have nothing to do with eternal life salvation. So don't compromise the grace message of salvation. Because everybody out there is going to tell you that's wrong. No, no, you're making it too easy. It's by grace that you are saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest anyone could boast. That's how simple it is. Be like John. He knew his message. He did not compromise know our message let's do not compromise he asks us now a second question look at the second question verse 25 what did you go out to to see a man dressed in soft clothing those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces question number two did you go out there expecting to see a guy all rich dressed up who looks like a king the answer is no we didn't we went out there to see some guy in fact we went out there and he had this cloak, this kind of thing on, made out of camel hair, and he ate locusts, and he had this belt around there. He looked like Elijah. That's what they thought. They said, we went out there and saw this man. He had this long hair and everything else, because he never cut his hair. He was a Nazarite from birth. You may not have thought about that. He had this long hair, probably long beard, this camel hair outfit, and, and people went out, and they said, he said, did you expect to go out there and see somebody all dressed up? And they went, well, no, no, we didn't. No. Wow, okay. What? is the third thing. See, the crowd went to John not because he went back and forth on his message. Because, see, there's a lot of people who say, if you want to attract a crowd, tell them what they want to hear. John didn't do that. We don't do that. You don't do that. They didn't go to John because he told them what they wanted to hear. He knew his message didn't change. They didn't go to John because he is rich. That takes us to the third question. What did you go out to see? Verse 26. A prophet? Yes, I say to you. And one who is more than a prophet. The third question has the yes answer. What did you go out to see? To see a prophet? And the answer is yes. They went out to see a person who was proclaiming a message from God. John was out there saying, Thus says the Lord, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. The Messiah is here. He was a prophet of God. Now, they went out to see a prophet, but then Jesus adds something to it. He says, yes, I say to you, but one who is more than a prophet. What do you mean more than a prophet? 
Well, he's going to explain. Look at the next verse. This is the one about whom it is written. And he quotes Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He says he's more than a prophet because he is the messenger who goes before the Messiah. He's the one that Malachi wrote about. In fact, if they would have turned back, or you could even turn back, but don't now. If you turn back to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it says God's going to send a messenger before the Messiah. That messenger was John. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you, he's so great. He's more than a prophet. He is the prophet who got to announce the Messiah. Think about all the prophets. I mean, there's, you know, Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Malachi. And you got all these prophets. John was more than a prophet because he got to be the messenger who goes before the Messiah. Out of all the people who ever lived, he's the one that got to say, there he is. That's the Messiah right there. I've been sent to tell you, that's the Messiah. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I get to do that. He had a purpose. Not just a prophet, but the forerunner. I want you to realize something else. You have a purpose as well. God has saved each one of us in this room who have trusted in Jesus. He has set you apart. He has gifted you. You have gifts, talents, and ability. He has put you on this earth at this time for such a time as this. You are an ambassador for Christ as though God did beseech through you. You have a purpose, and that is to go into this community and this world with the good news message of Jesus Christ. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. We are ambassadors for Christ. God will use you. He will take, if you say to him, Lord, take my life, use me for your glory. There will never be another one like you. You are unique and special and gifted. See, I look at our culture and everybody wants to be like somebody else. They look around and go, I wish I was like them. Listen, you don't want to be like them. You want to be like you. God made you unique and special. And so just like John had a purpose and a message, we have a purpose and a message. So what does he say about John? He said, what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yeah, it was a prophet, but I'm telling you what, he's more than a prophet. He's the one Malachi talked about as the messenger who would go before. He's the one that Isaiah said, behold the voice crying in the wilderness, make ready for the Messiah and the King. And he's going to say something else. And this is going to surprise us. Listen, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Let me read the rest of the verse. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now we could get the first one and say, okay, what he's saying is John may be the greatest man. Yeah, okay. What does the second part say? He's in the kingdom of God. Who's the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John? What exactly does that mean? Well, let's start with the first part. You know what he says? He said, I'm telling you how great John is. Out of all human beings that have ever been born, nobody is greater than John the Baptist. Now, we're not counting Jesus in there because Jesus is the God-man. We're talking about human beings, regular people. Jesus is God-man. I say to you, among those who are born of women, of born of a woman, there's no one greater than John. You know why? Because he's the forerunner of the Messiah. Out of all the human beings that ever live, you can say, there, there's, there's the greatest human being. 
Now, I guarantee you, if you said, John, John, you realize you're the greatest, he went, I'm not the greatest. Yeah, you are. You are. Jesus said you were the greatest. Some of you have heard Muhammad Ali say, I am the greatest. No, no, no. Maybe you're number two, Muhammad, but no, you can't be number one. <laughs> because the greatest person who ever lived is John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said. But there's something you've got to understand. Look at the rest part of that verse. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You know what that's saying? That's saying as great as John was in this fallen world and the ministry that John had as a prophet of God and everything, the greatest that he is, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than that. See, being in the kingdom of God is someone who believes in Jesus Christ as Savior. And he's saying that anyone who believes in Jesus and is in the kingdom, that's greater than any human being could possibly be. All who trust in Christ and the things connected with the kingdom of God is so much better than anything on this earth. It's contrasted with the fallen world and ministry here. Anything dealing with the kingdom is greater than that. So he's saying as great as John was, the greatest human being, even the least person in the kingdom is greater than that. He's saying what you need to be in is the kingdom. That's the, that's the greatest thing. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're in the kingdom. And greater is the least person in the kingdom than the greatest person on this fallen world. See, we all know that this world is, is we're, it's not our own. We're just passing through. It's, it's, it's passing away. Everything in this world is temporary. And the greatest things in this world come to nothing. And the least in the kingdom of God is greater than the greatest in this old fallen world. Now, here's my question for you. Will you be in the kingdom? Well, the answer is, well, I hope so. Well, how? You can know for sure by faith in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He has provided the way for you to be with Him forever in the kingdom. And that's simply by faith. If you trust Christ for eternal life, if you trust in Him, you will have salvation and be in the kingdom. And if you're in the kingdom, that's greater than anything that could ever be imagined down in this world. Wow. When he, did, when he said this, we're going to see the contrast now between those who had, had been identified with John and believed in Jesus and those who didn't identify with John and believe in Jesus. I want you to understand something. When John came with his message and said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, those who had been baptized by John were saying, we believe in the coming Messiah, and then they'd say, we believe in Jesus as Messiah. Those who weren't baptized by John, they said, we don't believe your message, and we don't believe that that Jesus guy is the Messiah. He shows the contrast right here. Look at verse 29. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. He said, here these people, the regular people, the tax collectors, the sinners, they acknowledged, and it says God's justice, it really says they acknowledged God's right. Because they had been identified with John. They believed John. They also believed Jesus. But, verse 30, but the Pharisees and the lawyers, which were the scribes and these were the religious rulers, they had rejected God's purpose for themselves because not having been baptized by John, they didn't believe John's message. They didn't believe Jesus. And that's the bottom line. In that time, if John, when they, if they rejected John the Baptist, they also ended up rejecting Jesus. If they believe John's message, they believe in Jesus. It's powerful. Now, the rest of this passage, I'm going to go through it very quickly. 
But he's going to show that no matter what, whether it was John giving out the message or Jesus giving out the message, the people of that generation, meaning those who reject him, the religious leaders and the nation of Israel as a whole, no matter what happened, they always found fault, and they didn't believe either John or Jesus. Notice verse 31. To what can, shall I compare the men of this generation? What are they like? What are these people like, this generation? And then he uses an illustration. He said, well, they're like children. They, they're in the marketplace, and they call out to one another, and they say, we played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We played a happy song, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge. We sang a sad song, and you didn't weep. And they're saying, no matter what song we play for you, you don't like it. If we play a happy song, you won't dance. If we play a sad song, you won't cry. And what he's saying is, if John came with a message, they didn't believe it. If Jesus came with a message, they didn't believe it. And Jesus and John came in two different ways. Notice what he says, verse 33. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. He came, and and in the analogy, he came singing the sad song. He wasn't having the party. John came with a message. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. People came out there and he said, you better get your act together. You better believe in the Messiah. That's what he did. So he said, well, John came and he didn't eat or drink. He didn't party. He didn't do all this. And what do you say about him? He has a demon. Well, then Jesus came just the opposite. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. Jesus said, let's have a party. And you say he's gluttonous man, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So it didn't matter whether you came with a strict message or you came with the loose message. You might want to say it that way. Either way, it says they rejected either way. They rejected John. They rejected Jesus, no matter what they did. In fact, I think I've got one that says no matter the ministries They rejected John and Jesus. In fact, I've got to think another slide says, they said, John's too serious, Jesus is too loose. That's what they said. Now, they had the same message. The message is Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And so all Jesus is trying to show is John came and he gave a message and you rejected him. I came and I came the same message because John pointed about me. And you reject me. John came doing things one way. I came doing things another way. And we can't please you. That's what he's saying. The last verse says, Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. All he's saying is God's wisdom is shown by those who believe, by the children, by they believe that Jesus and John were right. There are always going to be those who believe and there are going to be those who reject. I remember in the book of Acts when Paul had done his missionary journeys, he ends up in prison in Rome. And while he's in prison in Rome, some of the religious leaders come to him and they say, what are you in here for? And he said, well, I'd like to talk about Jesus. So he says, okay, we'll get a big crowd. We'll come hear you. Paul was in house arrest. So they came to the house, a large crowd of people. And it says that Paul preached the message of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And then it says, and some of them believed and some of them did not. You're going to find that. That when we proclaim the message, there'll be people who believe in Jesus as Savior, and there'll be people who do not. Last thing, what happened to John? Well, he's in prison, and while he's in prison, Herod had a party. And Herod's wife is named Herodias, and she had a daughter named Salome. And she came in and danced at the party. And she danced really, really, really good. And he said, that's good dancing. That's really good dancing. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You, you have danced so well today... I'll give you anything you want, up to half the kingdom. That was one way of saying, I'll just give you any present you want. She went over to her mother and said, what should I ask for? Her mother hated John the Baptist because he had told her, you're not supposed to marry that man. You're not supposed to be married. 
So she hated him. She said, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So she goes back to Herod and says, I'd like John the Baptist's head on a platter. And he went, what? What in the world? That's a, that's a strange present. But he was embarrassed because he looked around. He had made this boast in front of all the people that he'd give her whatever she wanted. She wants John the Baptist's head on a platter. So he had John's head cut off and brought in. Now that didn't turn out for John like maybe he thought. Right? <laughs> right? And that didn't turn out for a lot of people the way they thought. And sometimes in life... We do things that we think, look, I'm I'm living for Christ, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Why did this happen? We must trust God in all the events, both the good ones and the bad ones. He's in control in the midst of hatred or problems or persecution or sickness or death. He's in control. Brian Harvey used to play baseball with the Florida Marlins. He said, you know, when good things happen... I'm a man of God. I trust him. When bad things happen, I still have to trust him and know that everything is taken care of. Trust God in the trials. We've seen Jesus talked about John. He said he's the greatest. He said he's the prophet and the forerunner. And those who believed knew John and Jesus. Those who rejected, they, they rejected. Those who didn't believe, they rejected both John and Jesus. And John was killed. And sometimes things don't turn out like we think. Let me give you the applications, a couple of them. Here's the first one. Trust Jesus Christ as Messiah, King, and Savior. Trust him as the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He came to the earth to die on the cross and pay for sin. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We trust in him. He is the one that gives life. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room have already put your faith in Jesus as Savior. If not, right where you're sitting right now, you can say, I believe that Jesus died for me, rose again, that he gives me eternal life, and by the authority of the Scripture, you have eternal life. Now, let me remind you of several things. A, John, under this, John was the greatest prophet and human being. He was. First of all, he had a purpose. His purpose was the forerunner of the Messiah. He had that message. I want you to understand you have a purpose and a message as well. You're an ambassador for Christ. And you have the message of salvation. The second thing about John that was so powerful is he did not waver on his message. He did not compromise his message. And I want you to understand you are not to compromise the grace message. Don't add to it. Don't confuse it. Tell people straight out it is faith alone in Christ alone for eternal life. So stand for the truth. Know the message. You have a purpose and you have to be strong in your message. B. All believers in the kingdom are greater than John. John's the greatest human being that ever lived. And yet any one of us who trust in Christ in the kingdom of God, we're greater than anything connected with this world. So powerful. The world rejects John and Jesus as Christ for Savior. But anyone who believes in Jesus is greater than anything this world has to offer. That's why the Bible would say, what what if a person gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Second application, trust God in this fallen world when things do not seem to be right. We got to. Let me ask you something. You think the things at Virginia Tech, was that right? Did that seem to be right to us? It wasn't. We'd say, that doesn't seem right to me. But we have to trust our God. 
Sometimes there's sickness and problems, and sometimes it looks like evil things. And But God is in control, and we have to rest in Him and trust Him in the midst of trials, problems, and sorrow. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. We don't worry about the future. The future belongs to Him. There's an old saying that says, trust God in the dark as well as trust in Him in the light. And I read something the other day. I thought it was pretty good. It says, there's an old saying that says, fear knocked at the door. Faith answered. Nobody was there. May we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our King, as our Messiah, standing for Him in a fallen world as we trust Him in the events of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great morning. Thank you for these truths. Lord, we realize that Jesus is the Savior, that He died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. And just as John pointed Him out, we point Him out as well as the Savior and Messiah. And I hope and pray, Lord, that everyone in this room has trusted in Christ as Savior. Lord, we think about John the Baptist being the greatest person. He had a purpose, and he didn't compromise his message. Lord, we are the same. We, we have a purpose. We're ambassadors, and we cannot compromise the grace message. So may you use us, Lord, for your glory, realizing that even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than anything connected this, with this world. Lord, may we trust you in this fallen world when things don't go exactly like we thought they should have gone. May we rest in you and trust you, knowing you're working all things together for good. Those who love the Lord and those who are called according to his purpose. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.